it being Halloween weekend and everything like that, I wanted to I wanted to break into a, a a different topic for this weekend that is a part of our digital gospel series. Um, I'm going to be doing a two part mini series in the midst of our digital gospel series. So uh, so it's kind of we're breaking it down a little bit more. So we're still in the digital gospel. This is part of the digital gospel. But I'm going to speak a message called Stranger Things this morning, and then we're going to do week two of Stranger Things next week. All right, because the portion of scripture that I want to deal with this morning is lengthy at best. Um, there's a lot of stuff in it, and uh, because of time, I can't cover it all. So I want to be able to I want to be able to dig into that. But before I get into the message, I got one quick announcement I need to make. Um, we've done some promotion around here uh, over the past little while uh, for a guest speaker that we're going to be bringing in named Cy Rogers. Um, due to some health complications and visa complications, because of those health complications, um, his visa has been postponed, and therefore our event with him has to be postponed. So we're super bummed about it, but the reason I say postponed is we will be doing it after the first of the year, okay? And so it's going to be really cool. Uh, We're really excited about it. We're looking at dates somewhere between uh, uh, February and March right now, uh, more likely landing in March. And so just stay tuned for details, but I just wanted to make you aware of that, that that event is going to be postponed until after the first of the year. Does that sound good? Cool. All right. Well, let's get into it. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 6 through to 10. Ephesians chapter 6. Remember to turn to your neighbor this morning and just say, you look good. Come on. Turn to your other neighbor and say, yeah, I know. I've been checking you out. No, don't say that. Don't say that. All the single guys in here were just like, yes, finally. I've been waiting all worship long. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 says this. Finally. Every shout, finally. finally. The reason finally is there. This is a big theological concept right here. The reason finally is there is because he wants us to know this is finally his end. Okay? Um, so he's going to be giving the, the end of his the thought process, which is really the whole of Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Every shout, stand. stand. Come on, every shout, stand. Stand, stand against the scheme of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Notice that word stand is happening a lot right now. Then he says, stand therefore, verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can use to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that my words may be given, or that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This morning as we continue on in our series, The Digital Gospel, I want to speak to you from the subject, Stranger Things, as we look at the spiritual reality of our lives and faith and the relationship it has with the gospel. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, that it's active, that it's powerful, that it has the ability to change us from the inside out. God, I thank you for this amazing church, not these four walls, but the people that make this place the well. God, we're so thankful for your grace in our life. We thank you for your presence right now. 
And we pray, speak, Lord. We are listening. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and everybody shouted. Amen. I grew up camping a lot. Any, anybody love camping, being in the outdoors? A lot of us in here, we, we live in the perfect state for it. Um, many camping trips as I was a kid, uh, my dad would do what many parents would do, or maybe some parents wouldn't do, but this was my dad, so um, we did it this way. He'd tell ghost stories around, around the fire. Anybody ever tell ghost stories or been a part of ghost stories around the fire? Don't worry, there's no judgment in here. This is just a storyline, so feel free to put your hand up. If, you, if you've heard a ghost story, have you done the flashlight thing? Anybody done the flashlight thing? Okay, just... Just making sure, all right? Let's not get too holy in here, okay? And so I remember, I remember one, one camping trip. We were camping as a, as a family, and my, my dad would tell this story all the time of a, of a, of a man named Booger Bob. Um, that was, that was the, the fictitious character that my father had made up to, to scare, um, really scare every ounce of us. And so Booger Bob would roam the woods and, and steal little children from the campsite. Um, so awesome camping trips, right? <laughs> <laughs> so he would he would tell all the parents are like come out of the service little one um but uh, he would tell these stories, and I remember one particular time we were, we were camping, he was telling the story, and he had all of us kids on the edge of our seat as, he t- as he's telling this story. And what he, we had failed to realize is that he had taken a cup and put some kerosene in it and had it back here. And so as he's telling this story, and he's getting us like just right there in there, and we're all freaked out and we're scared, he got to like the apex of the story and then threw the kerosene on the fire, and the fire's like, and like all of us kids just like peed ourselves, and it was just like, we're just freaking out, and you know, and we're in bed, and Justin and I, we don't sleep the entire night. We just, we think like Booger Bob's coming to get us. Like, it's just <laughs> Booger Bob. It's actually really fun, fun moments of my childhood. I, I, I remember as a kid being fascinated with the movie E.T. and other movies that came out in the, at, in, in the 80s. And if you've seen this movie, Stranger Things, it's really a throwback to that, to that time it, 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 with these kid actors and the way that it's filmed and, and everything like that. And I wanted to take this concept and I wanted to kind of work with it this morning when it comes to the reality of a, of, of a spiritual side of our life. Especially in reference to spiritual warfare because that's what Paul's talking about. And I think what can happen so many times in our lives, and as Christians, if we're not careful, we can inherently remove this, this portion of our faith, this portion of, of the gospel, in our attempt to be linear, in our attempt to be relevant, in our, in our attempt to help, uh, help us all understand things, we have a tendency to remove the very thing that the gospel is. Inherently, there's some spiritual overtones going on here. And for a lot of us, it's, it can be daunting, it can be scary. For some of us, we approach this topic with some baggage, right? Depending on your church background. So the minute I talk about spiritual things or spiritual warfare, there may be a degree of anxiety rising up in you even right now. Where is he going with this? What's going to happen? Is it going to get scary in here? All right? And I want to I kind of, I want to debunk that a little bit because I approach this topic, if I'm honest with you, I approach this topic with some baggage. I approach this topic with, with kick gloves because I want to make sure that we handle it appropriately so that I can inform us as the church in our awareness of spiritual things. See, the idea of reality beyond the natural, what we can see and touch, quantify, has been something that has intrigued man since the beginning of time. 
The difference between then and now is that we believe in all of our sophistication, education, and advancement. Somehow, we've progressed beyond spiritual things. Yet as a whole, our culture behaves very differently than the idea that we project. Statistics, money spent, movies made, and services rendered would very much suggest not that would very much suggest that we're actually very interested in this subject matter. Halloween, I just found out, statistically is the second highest grossing holiday of our nation. Right behind Christmas. And we see it. We can see it. I mean, the amount of, 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 of horror houses that are, that are here, right? These, these, these places that we can all go and, and have everything scared out of us, right? Which I still don't get the point of because simply I just don't walk, like walking into scary places, okay? It's just not like I don't like clowns. Simple as that. I don't like clowns with machetes. That's even worse, okay? <laughs> to have a biblical worldview, a gospel worldview, We have to become not only informed, but also equipped when it comes to the spiritual dynamics of our faith. And there are spiritual dynamics. Ephesians 6 must be read in conjunction with the whole of Paul's letter. His desire was that we would view spiritual matters in light of the full gospel message, not just as special interest groups in demons or angels or spiritual warfare, which unfortunately happens more often than not. You've seen that before. The pendulum swings, doesn't it? We either go completely linear and we try to keep everything clean and and unspiritualized and we have our theologies and our doctrines which are so important to us yet at the same time we have to understand that there is spiritual vitality and realities to the gospel. But Paul didn't want us to get disconnected in a way where we just simply went over there or went over here and we became paranoid and fearful or crazy because human nature is to what? Go for the spectacular. We love the spectacular, we love the fireworks show, don't we? So spiritual things for a lot of us have preyed on that thing. I want to hopefully balance it out for us this morning. I want to walk through the scriptures and help us understand, understand what Paul is dealing with when it comes to spiritual warfare. The language that Paul uses here is that of a military accent. He admonishes us to stand. Every shout stand? Stand, to take a stand and to stand firm. He says stand a lot. Because there are certain specific realities at work in our world today. He addresses us, the church, the local church, as it were, much like we are here this morning, as a whole to stand firm, distinguishing for us that there is ground both to be kept and defended. Did you hear that this morning? There is ground to be both kept and defended. In our marriages, there is ground to be kept and defended. In our relationship, there is ground to be kept and defended. In our churches, there is ground to be kept and defended. In our world, there is ground to be kept and defended. And Paul's reality to the Ephesians was like, you better watch out because it seems like you're letting up a little bit here and you're losing ground. Losing ground. But it's not flesh and blood like you think it is. Listen, church, we are not battling against politics. We are not battling against culture. We are not battling against our 401ks. We're not battling against the housing market. We're not battling against any of those things. As Paul would admonish us, our fight is not flesh and blood, but something else. It's inherently spiritual in nature. 
Paul's languaging here is almost a throwback to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, when Jesus says this, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. It is having the hilltop. It's having the mountain. It's a fortified position. Keep the high ground. For some of us, we need to hear that this morning. Keep the high ground. And that's his encouragement. Keep on standing. And that's what Paul is teaching us right here. It's a strong position the church should have. The church, it's people. One that Jesus desires us to occupy and operate from. It is a hill that both welcomes and sins. It is a strong fortress. It's a refuge for those that need strength, hope, rest, encouragement, teaching, equipping, and resource for life and faith. That sounds like a pretty cool place to me. Paul implores us to realize that there's a lot more going on in life than what is right in front of us. Then we have to be the type of people who recognize, see, and live accordingly. You ever felt that before? You ever felt like there was more to life than what life is offering us? You ever been in that place where everything is going really well, but then you still feel like there's resistance in life? You ever been there before? Like, man, things are going really awesome right now, but then I feel this weird resistance in my life. And it's at that moment that we have to realize that there's more to the natural, there's more than just the natural, more than the things that we can see and quantify. Paul tells us that we are in spiritual battle, not just physical battle. And it's through this scripture that he equips us in some pretty significant ways. So we're just going to walk through this, and I want to to establish some truths for us that Paul establishes for us. So if you're taking notes this morning, I really hope that you are. Uh, Occasionally we say good things around here, Um, so feel free to to write some notes down. But the first thing that I I want to discuss this morning, every shot number one, the first truth that Paul gives us is the what. The what. And this is what he says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. Paul challenges and encourages us to be strong in the Lord and his might. The Greek word employed here helps bring greater weight to this word might. And it literally means the power that overcomes resistance. I love that. Anybody want to be like a, a UFC fighter, just out of curiosity? Anybody in here? Like four of us and all females? Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> Bree. <laughs> she... <laughs> that overcomes resistance is this idea of of fighting i I remember being i I wasn't the biggest kid in school erica makes fun of me all the time because i didn't hit my growth spurt to like like i was in 10th grade um so when when i used to try to kiss her when i was in like ninth grade and ninth graders don't do that just wait till you're 32 okay i'm just just being real okay uh just do what we say not as we did okay uh but i would have to i would reach up (laughs) to try to to try to kiss her it was it was (laughs) It's awesome. It was so romantic. And she'd just pat me on the head. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> but what I didn't have in height, I made up in good looks. So it was all right. <laughs> but I remember being a small kid in high school. And I used to get picked on, believe it or not. And it was in this moment that I was in eighth grade, and this kid, who will remain unnamed just in case he knows Jesus now is listening to our podcast, um, decided, decided to, to pick a fight with me. And here's the thing about small people. 
They have a lot more to lose. So you don't pick on small people, right? And I was in, I was in eighth grade, and I remember this kid, he came up to me, he started picking up on me, and, and was pushing me around a little bit, and he quartered me into, into, into the corner. And I had no other option but to use the strength that God had given me <laughs> to engage in spiritual warfare. <laughs> And so I did. We went for it. Two little kids just were flying over desks. And I mean, it's just all kind of chaos. And, and, and in eighth grade, you don't even know how to punch yet. So it's just like this. Because you, every eighth grader has T-Rex arms at this point, right? <laughs> so we're going for it. We're making it happen. The teacher pulls us apart. And, and I'll never forget this moment where all of a sudden, this kid who, who attacked me and had me pinned into a corner, he stepped back after we were done getting into it. And he's like... Okay. And the crazy thing was, is he became my friend after that. That's how guys roll. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You good? <laughs> guys, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> so fighting out in the lobby after we're done, okay? <laughs> it says, be strong in this power that overcomes resistance. And what I, what I use that illustration for is because I want us to see something. Many times we believe that we're outnumbered by the enemy, that we're outflanked by the enemy. Many times we believe that we're just not powerful enough. And in our own might, we are absolutely right. We are not powerful enough. But in the might that is given to us by God, we are powerful enough. And that's why Jesus says, that's why Paul encourages us, stand firm. Stand firm. We have the ability, we have the power to overcome. Watch. Now Paul's using this because he's kicking it back to something that he wrote earlier in Ephesians in verses 15, chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation in knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. So good. According to the working of his great, what's the word? Might. There's that word again, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The same power that rose Christ from the grave lives in us. So when he says you can overcome, you can stand firm in the power of his might, Paul's actually suggesting to us we can hold our ground. So when the enemy's pushing up against your marriage, when the enemy's pushing up to, uh, against your kids, when the enemy's pushing up against you in your hell, we can stand firm in his might and power. You ever felt pushed on? You ever felt pushed back? You ever felt come against, something come against you. This is when we stand. So the what is be strong in the Lord. Paul continues on. In Philippians 4.13, he uses the same word. He says, I can do, you've heard this before, all things through Christ who what? Strengthens me. It's the same word. It's the word that, that says this power to overcome resistance. 
Number two, every shot, number two? number two? Number two, the second truth that Paul gives us, highlights for us, is this the how. The how. And he says to put on the whole armor of God. We shall put it on. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, put it on. Put it on. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, for the sake of time, we're not going to go into these pieces of armor that the Bible defines for us. We're going to cover that next week. So you do not want to miss next week. We're going to be dealing with some really good things as we, as we move towards the conclusion of this series. We're going to deal with the armor of God. Uh, Pastor Mike's going to be speaking in a few weeks here, and that's going to be absolutely awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to do a message uh, in a little while here about how the gospel informs our life when it comes to our work, what we define as holy and, and secular, secular and sacred. Many of us have this weird idea that somehow what we do outside of the four walls of the church isn't holy, but I'm going to present to you the fact that everything that we do unto the Lord yeah. is holy. All right? So we're going to deal with how the gospel informs our work, everyday lives. But needless to say, next week we're going to be dealing with the armor of God. But the how Paul establishes for us is to put on, how do we stand? Put on the whole armor of God. And notice that this is the responsibility of us, the believer, to put on the armor of God. And our quest for not being religious or legalistic, many of us have either forgotten or ignored the imperative to put on. In other words, we've developed a faith that is spiritual light. We've tried to remove our responsibility in the spiritual fight that we find ourselves in. See, religion or legalism is a belief that we can or have to earn our salvation. We're not talking about salvation here. We're talking about spiritual warfare. And when it comes to warfare, it's our responsibility to put on what Christ has provided for us. Come on. This is a daily decision and action that has to be and has to take place in our lives. We have to put it on. Have any of us ever forgotten to wear pants as we walk out the house? Show of hands. I just want to know so you know. Okay, cool. A few of us. <laughs> awesome. I want to talk to you afterwards, please. <laughs> just because I want to hear the story. <laughs> There is literally one time that I've almost forgotten to not have my pants on. I didn't tell this story in the first service. My wife was out of town. That's your first clue, okay? Because wives, they are the voice that says, put your pants on. So the kids are running around. We're gone. I'm trying to get them to school. I'm freaking out. I'm trying to get everything going on. She's out of town. And, and I usually go to the gym after I drop off the kids from school. But it was me on my own. And so I'm running around like crazy. We woke up a little bit late. And I forgot to put my, my gym shorts on, right? And so all I had on were like these spandex things. I know it's a great mental picture for your pastor. And so I'm running around going crazy. And I'm, girl, like Shiloh, girl. I didn't call her girl. I call her Shiloh. Girl, come on. Let's, let's Let's go, Justice, let's go, let's go. And so Justice just goes out because he's like me, just, yeah, life is awesome. And so he walks out and Shiloh's standing there looking at me. No joke. She says to me, Dad, your shorts look weird. <laughs> she didn't tell me I was missing my pants. She just said, your shorts look weird. And I'm like, yeah, they do. <laughs> Putting on the armor of God is something that only we can choose to do. See, a lot of us want God to fight the battle for us, 
instead of realize that he's equipped us to fight the battle in him. And that's what this piece of scripture is about. He says, put it on. So what does putting it on look like? Well, first, it's a daily decision if you're taking notes. You got to decide today to put it on. It's like all of us woke up this morning and we decided to put our clothes on. We got to put on the armor of God. Now, again, like I said, uh, some of this is going to be a little bit contextualized next week. So come for part two of this message. But it's a daily decision. The second thing is, is that it takes discipline. You have to not only make the decision, but then we have to do it. Like it's one thing to, 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 to go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this armor on. It's another thing to then discipline myself to do it. You'll understand that a little bit more next week. It takes intentionality. That's the third thing about putting it on. To put something on takes intentionality. I, I don't go to bed. I don't shower. Oh, shoot. Um, I don't shower with this. I don't wash my hands with my ring. It bothers me like crazy, okay? And so every single morning, I have to intentionally make sure that I put my wedding ring on, right? I know some of you keep it on all the time. I just, uh, weird like that. And so every single morning, it's part of my routine now with intentionality. I'm always looking for my wedding ring because I don't want to leave the house without my wedding ring. I got to be intentional about putting it on. And this is the same way when it comes to the armor of God. It takes a daily decision, discipline, intentionality, and it takes resolve to keep it on. Why? Because when you have the armor of God on, more than likely you're going to take some shots. And this is what I've come to learn. Is that for many of us, we'd actually be okay not taking shots from the enemy. Because if we're taking shots from the enemy, it means that we're on about God's business. So when I have my armor on, I know that I'm engaged in battle, right? When I have my armor on, I know that I'm engaged in battle. I'm going to take some shots and, and notice, and we're going to talk about this next week, but some of those things, it says that the fiery darts of the enemy, they're going to come at us. We're going to talk about the shield and everything like that next week. But when I have my armor on, it takes a resolve that I'm keeping this stuff on with discipline and intentionality and a decision because I am taking shots, but I can stand my ground. I can stand my ground. Number three, have a shot number three? Come on, have a shot number three? The why. Paul then clarifies for us the why. Why? To stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay, everybody say devil. 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 All right, everybody turn to your neighbor and say devil. 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 I've noticed an interesting swing of things in our generation. We have a tendency to try to stay away from this word. For some reason, we think that when we mention the term devil, we've gone to like a fourth grade level all of a sudden. So we make up like very like dark and mystical names for him to try to kind of bring something else to it. The enemy of our soul, the Cape Crusader of darkness. (laughs) Devil! There's a lot of, there's, there's this new kind of theology that, that the Bible actually never spoke about the devil. It's not true. It's right here. The devil. And he has schemes and he employs these, these schemes. And this portion of scripture is speaking to the very real truth that the devil, the enemy of our soul, has very real schemes and methods that he uses in order to bring about pain, hurt, frustration, division, discord, confusion, fear, and insecurity to our lives and the world around us. You ever seen that before? Are these words familiar to us? This is the scheme 
of the enemy. In 1942, writer C.S. Lewis would publish his famed book, The Screwtape Letters, a book comprised of a series of letters written by an experienced tempter named Screwtape to his nephew, an apprentice tempster, Wormwood. In his letters, Screwtape works to help Wormwood, Wormwood develop the necessary skills and methods necessary for pulling a certain human patient away from God. That's what this book is about. In one such letter, he writes this. The thing to do is to get a man at first to value social justice as a thing which the enemy demands, the enemy being God, because remember this is coming from Screwtape, and then work him on the stage at which he values Christianity, because it may produce social justice. For the enemy will not be used as a convenience. Men or nations who think they can revive the faith in order to make a good society might just as well think they can use the stairs of heaven as a shortcut to the nearest chemist's shop. Fortunately, it's quite easy to coax humans round this little corner. Only today I have found a passage in a Christian writer where he recommends his own version of Christianity on the ground that only such a faith can outlast the death of old cultures and the birth of new civilizations. You see the little rift? Believe this. Not because it's true, but for some other reason, that's the game. Your affectionate uncle. Now somebody read this piece, of, or this, uh, this piece from C.S. Lewis's book, and like the Message Bible attempts to do, how many of you have read the Message version of the Bible before? Tries to bring a little bit more modern day vernacular and clarity to this quote. They write this. And it's so compelling and disturbing all at the same time. Taking this C.S. Lewis quote, They've assimilated it in a different way for us, and it writes like this. Be sure that the patient remains completely fixated on politics. Arguments, political gossip, and assessing on the faults of people they have never met serves as an excellent distraction from advancing in personal virtue, character, and the things the patient can control. Make sure to keep the patient in a constant state of angst, frustration, and general disdain towards the rest of human race in order to avoid any kind of charity or inner peace from further developing. Ensure that the patient continues to believe that the problem is out there in the broken system rather than recognizing there is a problem within himself. The schemes of the devil. Keep up the good work, Uncle Screwtape. It's amazing that we read this right now in the tenor of everything that we're facing in our nation. And that's why I said the things that we're fighting are not the things that we think we are fighting. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, 4 through 17, or 4, 17 through 19, he tells us, Paul, that the devil seeks to alienate humanity from God by disobedience and by ignorance and corrupt thinking. In Ephesians 4, 20 through, or 22 to 23, 25 through 27, and 27 through 31, Paul tells us that the devil tries to separate people from each other through the alienating sins of greed, falsehood, and anger. We have to face the fact that there is more to our lives and faith than just circumstance and coincidence, especially living here in Utah. For many people, this is a very stark reality to life as you know. I don't know if you've felt like this before, but maybe you've been battling depression in ways that you've never battled before. You seem to not be able to pick yourself up like you used to. And although we live in a scenically beautiful state, your reality has been marked by darkness and defeat. Many people tell me they can't connect and build relationships like they used to. Things are harder and there is a sense of relief upon leaving the very borders of the state. 
I want to be real this morning with this issue because so often we pray prayers of change my finances, change my health, change my relationships, and we're thinking practically when our prayers should be, God, give me the ability to stand against the schemes of the enemy that's working or trying to work in my life as I continue to press on into you, as I continue to worship, as I continue to believe, as I continue to have faith, as I continue to reach out, as I continue to trust you. Help me stand. Help me stand. Why? Because the battle that we face is a very real battle. And there's a very real enemy who employs these schemes and methods. And the fourth thing is this. The fourth thing that Paul tells us, the fourth thing that Paul shows us, the fourth truth that he highlights for us is the imperative. The imperative. And this is his imperative. Stand, therefore. Stand, therefore. Come on, one more time. Would you just turn to your neighbor and say, stand. Come on. Turn to your other neighbor and say, come on, keep on standing. Keep on standing. (laughs) Stand, therefore. There is a sense of urgency and importance to the imperative to stand, therefore. It's as if Paul is saying, no matter what comes your way, stand. See, our ability to stand is made possible by the tools that God has provided for us. Once again, we'll talk about them next week, which we will dive extensively into. But we have to walk out of here today with a strong conviction in our hearts and a resolve in our spirit to stand and keep on standing no matter what comes our direction. Are you with me? Standing firm and continuing to stand firm is actually possible. It's actually possible. I want you to hear this this morning in Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. Standing firm is actually about sowing and reaping. This is interesting. When I read this the other day, I was blown away by it. It's actually about sowing and reaping. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This is Galatians 6, 6 through 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will, from the Spirit, reap eternal life. Now watch this, verse 9. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. Listen, when we sow perseverance, we reap a harvest of good. That is what Paul means when he says, do not grow weary in doing good. In other words, keep on going, keep on standing, keep on believing, keep on fighting, keep on pushing, keep on sowing, keep on keeping on. It's a sowing and reaping situation. If I sow perseverance, I will in due time receive a harvest. I know our kids... For those of us who haven't have asked that question, are we there yet? But come on, how many of us have asked that question to God? Are we there yet? Are we there yet, God? Have I gotten there yet? Have I believed enough? Have I done enough? Have I, have I, have I, have I? And he says, no, just, just keep on sowing. When you sow perseverance, keep on persevering. Because when we sow perseverance, we reap in due season. Do season if we just keep on persevering.